Welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast, featuring compelling interviews with big-hearted people in the Oklahoma City metro area who are leading, creating, and innovating on purpose. Get inspired by conversations with passionate difference makers from our local community. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. On today's episode, we sit down with Mary Bixler, a passionate promoter of local food, sustainable agriculture, and food justice, and an encouraging advocate for healing through food, farming, and community. And now, the Live Your Purpose podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Live Your Purpose podcast. I'm here today with Mary Bixler, who grew up on a small farm in Jones, Oklahoma, where she gardened, raised animals, and even tended a little orchard. She graduated from the University of Central Oklahoma with a bachelor's degree in strategic communication and a minor in Spanish with a focus on sustainable food systems. Mary has a passion for local food, sustainable agriculture, and food justice through dealing with her own chronic illness and finding healing through food, farming, and community. Mary is currently the manager of the OSU OKC Farmers Market at Scissortail Park and serves on a community advisory council for building a coalition of Oklahoma farmers markets. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you. So we were, we've been talking for like 15 minutes and decided to go ahead and press record. So this is going to be a great conversation. Um, I, I found out about you through a mutual friend, Mark Walvard from UCO. Wonderful people. Very good people. And uh, Mark, if you're listening, I'm sure that you are. Um, <laughs> you can go listen to his episode. He's been a past guest. So after you listen to Mary's episode, go click on that and check it out. But uh, very excited to have you on the show. Mark's told me great things about you, and, and I see why. Oh, that's so kind. I'm honored. Truly. Yeah. Thank you. Good. Good. Okay. Well, Mary, as you may know, we start each episode with a kickoff question mm -hmm. and you've chosen yours. So I'll send that your way and just see where the conversation takes yes, us. Yes. Love it. Okay. So Mary, what are the struggles and triumphs that have most shaped your life? Oh, okay, Charles. This really makes us just uh, dive right in, dive deep. Off the uh, deep end. I would love First it. Thing. Let's go there. We're about, we're about transparency here. Okay. Um, you know, really started with a lot of struggle um, that I think led to triumph, you know, kind of as we were talking about transformative learning and what does this mean and some of those things. I really look right. at a lot of my struggles as, you know, learning opportunities in a lot of ways to my life. Obviously, wasn't at, at that space at the time. You know, I was really angry and upset with my life. But then looking back, I'm like thinking, you know, this is truly what has shaped so much of who I am and how I'm able to do some really meaningful work that I'm doing right now. Um, so kind of based, yeah, a little bit off of what you read from my bio. I grew up on a small farm out in rural uh, Jones, America. And, you know, I had a single dad at the time. And my grandfather, they were raising me. And we're out kind of in the middle of nowhere, kind of in the boonies. And um, didn't know it at the time, but... Um, really working on that farm and in our garden, our little orchard, um, really being exposed to like being connected to the land and animals in that way, um, shaped so much of how I'm now, you know, super propelled into sustainable food systems and gardening and farming. It sounds like it's a little bit aligned too with, with your kind of path, but, Absolutely. um, yeah, I, uh, 
Um, my mom wasn't present a whole lot at the very beginning of my life, had her own uh, substance abuse struggles. And so I was very isolated as a, as a child, which, um, and, and, you know, was brought into this world with a lot of um, genetic predispositions to health issues. Um, that kind of came from my dad's side and my mom's side, unfortunately. So kind of just got a nice little mix of <laughs> health issues, but um, have a couple uh, autoimmune conditions and from a very young age really, really struggled with how that affects uh, my identity and how I was able to kind of navigate the world feeling like I didn't have the same experience as a lot of kids my age. You know, I was a very sick kid, uh, mm. really sick. I now have respiratory issues, hormonal issues, bladder issues, skin problems. And so, so much of what it was like to be a kid was affected by my illness. And I think just really exacerbated by, um, you know, having a parent that was struggling with their own alcoholism and, and substance abuse, which at that time in my life as a young kid, you know, didn't have access to some of the resources that I think are available now or that I found later in my life. Um, and, you know, eventually through trying to kind of navigate the conventional medical system, which I think I'll, I'll preface is very, very important, but, you know, looking at chronic illness can tend to generalize and not get super, super specific with um, healing, especially as food as healing and like what is preventative medicine. And so not really having that in my toolbox or being able to hear or accept what um, healing, you know, emotionally, physically, uh, spiritually can look like. I went down my own path of, of substance abuse, of alcoholism, um, you know, and still trying to navigate my chronic illness at the same time, just made for this huge mess of, you know, I feel like crap all the time. I have, I can't navigate my life as a normal person in this world. You know, not that I know now there's no normal path <laughs> or navigation. We're all kind of right. up against our own thing. And I'm hearing, you know, from so many other people's stories that it takes a lot of overcoming certain triumphs or certain, you know, struggles um, to be illuminated to what our purpose kind of is or, or be enlightened into what gives us fulfillment in a healthy, constructive way. But um, took me a long time to find that. Um, not until, you know, my late 20s was I able to get a, a, get a pretty good grip on my illnesses. I started seeing, you know, an integrative physician who's based locally, who has changed my life, gotten to some intensive therapy and had to, you know, work through some own, my own things, but really started to find healing at all these different levels and intersections of, of who I am and, you know, dealing with things that were happening every day juxtaposed to things I had been carrying around for a really long time with, you know, abandonment issues, with being a little girl, not having their mom, you know, being out in the country and being isolated. And um, so a lot of things were kind of wrapped into, I think, me finding myself in a way that has now led me to be so incredibly grateful and kind of bewildered by what's been put in my lap as far as opportunities. But I love that you're doing this podcast and talking about that because I think, you know, there's so many paths to what gives people purpose and fulfillment and I think maybe it could be my own kind of echo chamber that I live in, but when we talk about these things of people who are kind of experts in their field, 
I think I kind of hold on to this assumption, and I think a lot of people do too, that it's like, oh, you you wake up and you're born knowing your purpose and you just hit the road and you're a doctor or – but and that's, you know, very, very seldom is that the case. And it's quite the opposite where people have to go through a lot to find what's important and what um, makes them want to get up in the morning. And, yeah, mine, I think in, with a lot of people um, was a lot of struggle at first. But now I've been – I've found such a meaningful – fulfilling path to working um, with farmers um, in my own kind of sustainable agriculture journey and community and urban gardening. Um, And really that community piece being something that is really, really meaningful to me, especially as someone who I think was really stuck in my own existence for a long time Um, and looking at life from this place of lack and, you know, kind of figuring out this dichotomy, I guess, of of how to nourish myself as an individual, but also investing and advocating for, you know, collective upward movement. Um, And I think, you know, a beautiful way that I've been able to come at that is through food, because that's been such a big piece of my healing journey, especially with my autoimmune conditions. You know, I have um, a lot of dietary restrictions, um, certain ways that I have to eat, and that's been its own kind of journey for me. But Um, I think that's the case for a lot of people with chronic illness and a lot of reason that a lot of these local uh, farmers have gotten into farming is is looking at our food system, recognizing that it's uh, not working for people in the way that it can and wanting a different way to do that and a way that's sustainable and regenerative, the way that gives resources to communities and keeps, you know, money circulating within the community and, and empowers people to have a little bit more control over their food ways um, and whether that's just purely, you know, accessibility of better food uh, or that's, you know, nourishing the soil microbiome and really looking at how to make food healthier, how to do more with food. Um, That's been a huge part of my journey. And I, I think I feel honored that I get to, at my age, to share that with people and be in some conversations that are really important, especially in Oklahoma, where hunger is such a huge issue. Chronic illness, diabetes is such a huge issue. You know, and we look at hunger, too. I mean, out of our 77 counties, you know, 55 are considered food deserts. Um, so people do not have, you know, typically reliable access to fresh food. Um which varies a little bit based off of, you know, what's reliable access in an urban setting, in a rural setting. But by and large, we know that food accessibility and, and nutrition and health equity are big problems in Oklahoma with those kind of being disproportionately affecting certain people. And so I think, you know, part of my healing outside of just this um, – physiological healing through food and wellness um, has also been, you know, this community healing with my own connection to my roots, as you were talking about a little bit earlier, and kind of, because as a child, I did not recognize how profoundly, you know, living, growing up on a little farm affected my life, but growing up learning about, you know, composting and and, um, soil and, you know, ecosystems and how they function and work together, I think has now led me to think about my life um, kind of in these systems and how everything really affects everything. And there are all these different intersections to these, to us us as people and our identity, but to, you know, um, these whole social systems and how do they affect one another and how do they overlap and how can we 
you know, collectively work on recreating some of these systems and infrastructure that really is for us and by us. Um, and I think, you know, again, we have to exist within some of these big systems, you know, big pharma, big ag, lots of big things. Um, and that's, you know, just how we live. And that's, I think, how a lot of the ways we have to feed people is through those big systems. But I think it's, you know, very much important to look at how do we, um, from on a smaller scale, more sustainable, more community-focused, look at building some of these systems. So I just kind of threw a lot out there. But that's so much a part of my path and where I'm working now has, you know, come from a lot of a lot of illness and a lot of um, figuring out <laughs> what healing is to me. Right. Well, so thanks so much for just dropping right off into the yeah. deep end of the pool and just uh, just telling us who you are sure. and what, what means a lot to you, too. You know, a big part. And so one of the things I hope to do with this podcast is really to, to let people share their own story mm -hmm. as they see it. Right. Mm -hmm. I, just, I just love hearing people's journey as they understand it. And then also to challenge some of those assumptions about what purpose may or may not be. Yeah. And so for me, I try not to overdefine it at all. It's really not interesting to me. I'm just, I'm more interested and more curious about what it is for someone else. But certainly a big part of it is meaning. Mm -hmm. And meaning also often comes through struggle. Right. And that, that's the point of that, that question, that prompt, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> is to prompt that reflection about those, those polar opposites that seem to be opposites, the struggles and triumphs that most shape your life because they really do give context to our identity, to the roles that we might want to fulfill, and the difference that we might want to make in the world. And so purpose, as I often say, um, I believe that people have the purpose of a, for a lifetime and that they also have a purpose for every time in life. And so purpose actually changes. I love that. Yeah. As we change, purpose changes, you know, because it is, purpose is part of a system mm -hmm. because we're part of that system. And so the impact, the person that we are, the ways that we perceive the world, our perceptions are always changing. And if we're honest and growing, our belief system changes as we grow too. So necessarily, you know, we have to unhinge from the ways that we viewed the world before, have that kind of opportunity for um, transformative experiences mm -hmm. or, you know, at least some type of integrative experience to where we can keep up with ourselves and with the world as it changes. And it turns out that's a big key to fulfillment. So, so much of what you've just described, Mary, for through my years at least, are similar to my own journey with alcoholism, drug addiction, suicide attempt in my case, lots of violence. Uh, uh, you know, wonderful family, you know, it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. But there's an opportunity to learn from those pains today. And to, uh, because I've experienced enough healing, and healing is related to the word wholeness. You know, healing, wholeness, healthy, th these words all have common roots, and there are reasons for that. And it goes back to food, you know, making better choices about what we put into our bodies mm -hmm. and thinking about where it comes from and how it impacts others. Mm -hmm. What was your particular interest that, uh, about food? You've mentioned some of your background in Jones and the rural uh, background, but where did you notice really starting to take this turn towards um, like the role that you're in today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great questions. Kind of come at me in some um, a couple different ways. I think one of the first ways that I started, you know, really having my interest peaked in food and sustainable food systems was when I started challenging 
my own consumption and how I was eating, um, how my family was eating. Because even growing up on a farm, you know, I had a single dad at the time and we're eating for convenience and, you know, what's kind of out of a box and can we can get down sometimes. Um, and that really, I think, exacerbated a lot of both of our illness, our chronic illness, you know, having insulin sensitivity, him having diabetes, um, me having lots of gastro skin problems. Um, so, you know, about when I was a junior or senior in high school and was in um, uh, some of the thick of my own substance abuse and um, really having a hard time about to drop out of high school because I was just sick all the time and, you know, couldn't figure out what I was supposed to be doing with my life at that point, which I think a lot of, you know, kids and people that age are, but kind of coupled with a lot of other things, my own context. Um, started to look a lot at food and started to look at how food in a lot of other cultures and places of the world um, and frames of thought is a huge source of healing. And, you know, so much of my journey around my autoimmune diseases had been a pill. Here's a pill for this. Here's a pill for this. You know, go see a specialist. Here's a pill for this. And never saw the results that I was looking for. And in fact, you know, had all these extra side effects because of all these things that I'm taking to, to help one thing and then it's causing another problem and, you know, just the back and forth with that. And so started to really look at what am I eating and how does this affect how my body functions? Because And I'm all, you know, 100% will say people and their bodies function differently, uniquely, and need different things. Some people thrive with a plant-based diet. You know, for me, I have lots of intolerances around grains and nuts, and so that's not something that is viable for me. Um, and, and that took a long time, too, to navigate, you know, what are the right kind of protocols for me? What um, decreases inflammation in my body instead of, um, you know, really spikes that or will send me into a lot of flare-ups? And that's so much of before I was looking at you know, my own experience with food, I was just basically in a constant state of flare up with all my autoimmune disease. And you just felt terrible all the time and could not understand, you know, why I can't get out of this rut, which I think, you know, you know, will just further us into that deep hole, further our abuse of ourself and, you know, anything that helps at that point. You know, I was very, very um, angry and sad. And the only relief I had at the time was through substance abuse. And, uh, you know, that, doesn't last very long if you're going, you know, going anywhere. But uh, yeah. I think when I started to open up my ideas to food and really how I'm treating my body, did I start to reconceptualize, you know, how I was kind of living my life and how important food is to me in my healing? I mean, it's everything. I mean, I have to structure a, a, just about everything I do around what I eat. And that's a lot. But it's also, um, I think, a lot of people's truth mm-hmm. And looking at, you know, not only people with chronic illness, but just um, how it makes people feel or maybe genetic, you know, disorders, which is also part of my background. Um, but when, when I started to kind of look at how I'm eating um, and started digging into all these intersections of food and wellness, and I just found myself at kind of breaching my first thoughts of environmentalism and how does food how food is made, how food gets to us as a consumer, how that affects so many other systems that we live uh, within and among. And I was just floored at all this research that has been done and contemporary research, you know, supporting how 
devastating uh, industrial food systems are to the planet, to people, um, economically. I mean, a lot of those systems are put in place because um, you can, you know, high, high profit. But I think it's, you know, important to think about a lot of that um, cost is externalized onto, you know, waterways, into soil, onto people. Um, and so I just started to look at all the different pieces of that. And I was just, you know, really floored. Um, and I, I was very passionate about it, too, because, you know, my my roots had kind of had me in this little farming world and, and learning a little bit about that way, having a bit of a nostalgia around farming and being connected to land in that way. And then looking at how, you know, we almost live in a polar opposite of that. You know, we're so disconnected. It's easy to not think about, you know, what does it take for my food to be on my plate? And so when I got into college, um, started off at OU, um, but finished my degree at UCO, which best decision I ever made. UCO is incredible and gave me so many resources to just explore this for myself um, as an individual, kind of doing my own transformative learning, but to also look at doing, putting some systems in place for our university that a better affected, you know, our footprint or the, the food workers or where we were purchasing food from. And that really got me connected to then a lot of local farmers and what's their piece of this. Cause you know, there's all these different perspectives. Um, and I think it's easy for us, especially in this environmentalism, sustainability kind of echo chambers that we can be in to think about this as, you know, there's one way to look at this and it's a problem and how do we solve it? But there are very, very different facets of the food system and how it affects everybody. And I was just so, you know, hungry <laughs> to learn more about all the different people and how it's affected. And then maybe think about conceptualizing meaningful solutions that had people uh, at the forefront of that conversation. And so really just started fostering a lot of relationships with farmers um, and started doing kind of my own advocacy around um, local food systems as a, as a very sustainable option for food procurement, especially um, looking at it from, you know, an institutional perspective at UCO, lots of purchasing power at universities and, you know, what does shifting money to local producers look like? Um, and it's a very deep thread we could go in, so I can save us a little bit of that. But, um, you know, it's just, it's wild, you know, how much infrastructure is in place for these systems and how they both need to um, function together. And I want to reiterate that. I hope that doesn't sound like I'm demonizing, you know, big industrial food. I think we have to have a lot of that in place. But I think there's also space to build infrastructure for local food systems, for community and urban gardens, and really looking at how do we increase accessibility of this food because it affects so much of our collective livelihoods. Um, but that's, you know, really what got me into now being a farmer's market manager. And kind of funny, too, I had just gotten to know a lot of these farmers, done work at UCO, worked at a little lo local food grocery store, Urban Agrarian, great grocery store, if you've never been, um, and then found myself uh, with this job, you know, wanting to yeah. take it on, which didn't exactly know all that it would grow to be, just kind of thought we were getting something exciting rolling, and it's turned into something really beautiful. Um, but I, I feel so blessed that I've, I've been able to kind of have that opportunity laid for me and for all these other farmers and small business owners that are big pieces of a farmer's market. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's just so exciting, too, because as we know, Scissortail Park has got a lot going on. Um, the OSU OKC Farmers Market, for those of us that have grown up in the city, you know, it's always been a big deal. It's, mm -hmm. So to have it on that location and then knowing that it's bringing in these elements and these systems and these conversations that you're talking about now, these relationships, really it comes down to relationships, if nothing else. Absolutely. The, the word connection and relationship, those, those share a lot for us human beings. So mm -hmm. to be connected is, is to be in relationship, and it, that often involves communication, which right. you know, that's what I do for a living also. This is communication right here, people. Anyone listening? <laughs> that's what we're doing right now. <laughs> we're using our degrees. Look that, at us. <laughs> that's right. And there's no charge for this conversation either. It's all free for you. So please share with your friends. And so, you know, just just hearing the words that you're saying is exciting to me. You know, one of the things, Mary, that I was thinking of when you were talking about food equity, the the impact that sometimes that we may or may not know about then. And, and I'm not trying to dehumanize or or tear down any systems either. Um, I try to ride that line. I think, you know, we can do a lot more together whatever that means at any scale than we could do by ourselves. So I uh, invite anyone to the table to have the conversation, whatever the conversation's about. Mm -hmm. And so um, one of the things that I did, I, I know from your bio that you have a minor in Spanish. I was about one or two classes away from getting a minor in Spanish also. And one of the things I did through OSU, my studies there, was a study abroad in Honduras. At, so cool. It was amazing. It was really amazing. I didn't see it coming, right? Mm -hmm. There was this three-hour credit class, international studies, which was new at the time, way back then. Uh, and so you could go and just check out, oh, well, let's go to Honduras and look around. And I was curious then, just like I am today. And we came to this school called La Escuela Nacional de Ciencias Forestales. It's NACIFOR. And um, that means the, the National School of Forestry Sciences. And there's people from all over Central America that, that were attending. It's an international forestry school. And we got to stay there for just like a day or so. And I'm like, I want to know more. Mm -hmm. So um, I went back to OSU and said, how can I go study there? And so they set up this relationship where I got to study abroad. And so I was the first North American to go to the international forestry wow. school. It was really incredible. I, and I wasn't doing it just for that achievement, which was kind of neat. But it was really because I wanted that connection and those relationships and the conversations. Mm -hmm. And we got to meet some of the campesino farmers and yeah. some, of the, some of the chocolate producers, which really they're the cocoa producers, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and some of them had never eaten chocolate. So what I'm saying is that, that for those that don't understand, that these are the plantations where they're growing the cocoa beans in um, you know, shaded forests. They, they also produce some timber and some living fences for their cattle, et cetera. And many of these campesino farmers, they would just give those beans and the dried nuts, they would, they would um, ship those off to the next phase, and mm -hmm. those would be processed somewhere else. And they never ate chocolate. They couldn't afford it. Yeah. You know, so that really, that's when it started back in the day. That's when it started. I'm just like, wait a minute, mm -hmm. you know, and, and tilling uh, with instead of with the grade or with the, uh, the slope uh, perpendicular to the slope so you don't lose all the soil. And, mm -hmm. and how about leaving some trees, you know, and all these practices that hadn't been done in a slash and burn agriculture. So wherever you are in the world, you know, we, we're faced with these same things about uh, where do we get our food? How do we get it? What's efficient, effective, and affordable also? Mm -hmm. Certainly. Yeah, so enough about me, but I just wanted to share that with you and maybe our listeners. Um, with some of the, what you're doing now, though, 
uh, Mary, downtown with the OSU OKC Farmer's Market at Scissor Tail Park. Um, <laughs> I, I know nailed, it. nailed it. <laughs> That's Woo! a mouthful. <laughs> I did that from memory. So uh, anyway, um, I know that there's so many activities going on. And this, this episode will, will be about three weeks from today. But um, So I know there's some cool stuff coming this weekend. But what are some of the activities that you're doing and then maybe share some of the experiences through your eyes or through those that you've met with, the farmers, the mm -hmm. public, whoever you choose to, and just give us some reflections, mm -hmm. thoughts about uh, how it's going there. Absolutely. And I, I love that you shared that experience because I think it's, again, just you see it everywhere. You know, everybody's eaten. Everybody's uh, – that's what I think is kind of beautiful about yeah. being involved in this in food. And, you know, when we think about traditional farming and food workers, you know, thinking that – we are getting food from Central America, South America, you know, uh, all over the world. And so it's it's so important to think about how pe all people are affected in this system. But um, we try to kind of really embody that in, in what we're doing at the market. And uh, again, kind of going back to, you know, people who are already thinking about food and, and health and nutrition um, and sustainability, I think – we can all kind of exist in an echo chamber where we kind of assume a baseline knowledge about these things. And, and with our program, we're really trying to open up this, to this dialogue again, because it is about conversations and, and hearing different perspectives and, and, and opening this up. Cause you know, food is for everybody. Like I said, we're all eating, we're all learning, hopefully lifelong learning, <laughs> hopefully transformative learning. <laughs> I hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> but we are really, you know, focused on being, you know, a, a community kind of activation center where a lot of these conversations are happening. Ah, yeah. And, and not in a way that um, can sometimes be elitist when we talk about, you know, food, especially food that is, you know, grown without pesticides. Um, workers are being paid a livable wage, it's going to inherently be more expensive. And we know that, you know, we see whole foods, we see sprouts. Um, we know that high quality food, organic food is more expensive, but there are, thankfully, there are systems and grants put in place that, you know, open up uh, the accessibility of food. Um, SNAP and, you know, OK Fresh, Double Up Oklahoma are some of the programs that we have at our market. So we try to encourage people um, you know, how to apply for these, how to apply for these programs, how to, you know, have some extra food budget a month, especially given COVID, where, you know, people have been devastatingly affected um, and their income affected, you know, their the requirements are opening up to be able to get some of that assistance. But um, in the realm of kind of some of our educational and outreach pieces, which I think is just as important as the accessibility of actual food piece, because, you know, you can have a farmer's market, that doesn't mean that people know how to cook with that food, how to prepare it, how to use it in a way that's sustainable um, or prolongs their money of getting that food. So so we've tried to kind of foster a place where everyone can meet it where they're at because I think that's, again, you know, even we look at, like, wellness and, and um, health and just, you know, all kinds of ways that we're looking at ourselves, we tend to, I tend to hear it in this, like, it's a take it or leave it all, you know, and I definitely see that in this sustainable and local food world is like, it's all or nothing, but it doesn't have to be that way. You know, you can right. take it and meet it where you're at mm -hmm. and what works for you and your family and your purpose at the time, you know, maybe right. it's 
changes and alters. And I think that's perfectly acceptable. But just looking at, you know, trying to empower people that some of these smaller, you know, come meet it where you're at makes a big difference, especially to local farmers. Um, and so we, we host um, cooking demonstrations, live cooking demonstrations with some of our uh, market members, we call them, like our producers that are at our market, um, will cook with local produce and show people, you know, how to use carrot tops, how to use um, things that you're not typically thinking you could use, which tend to just be waste, you know, and how to prolong something or how to take your veggie scraps and make stock, you know, things that'll help us prolong what we're purchasing um, and to make easy, affordable meals that are going to nourish us. Um, and so that's been really fun because we take, you know, different chefs, not only from, just from our market, but from the community, different communities in Oklahoma City. We are very lucky to be at Scissor Tail because geographically it's such a central spot in the city, you know, got really close access to Capitol Hill, got a lot of stuff downtown, kind of north OKC. There's a lot of really beautiful food things happening around there. Um, so it's really cool to be able to share that with people and let them see like, oh, you know, I don't have to be a chef or an expert to have fun cooking, involve my family, you know, thinking about eating a little bit more with seasonality. Because I think it's really easy since we are so, you know, disconnected in a way from what it takes for our food to get to us. It's easy to think like, oh, I can have anything at any time, like when I go to the supermarket. But you know, our farmers are, are in, especially in Oklahoma, where we're at, you know, the will of all the elements, all the wind, all the rain. <laughs> yeah. um, we're pretty, you know, restricted to what we're able to grow at this time. And I think teaching, that's a whole educational experience in and of itself is, you know, what time of year do things grow? You know, what is seasonality? How, how does mm -hmm. seasonality affect our ability to eat healthy and not stretch the environment beyond its limits, mm -hmm. you know, and have to um, change the soil or do lots of things to manipulate a growing practice, letting a crop, you know, be its best self at its best time and it tastes the best, you know, and kind of just educating people on that. But then since people are already kind of thinking about food and growing food and gardening, it's a, uh, it's a really great place to have other conversations that are kind of at the intersections of food, which is how do I grow my own food for subsistence? You know, we have a homesteading class coming up. I'm looking at, you know, growing my own food. Let's also talk about composting. So we're, you know, this weekend we're doing a compost demonstration, how to build your own compost bin and, and maintain it and talking about these different types of compost. You know, there's composting with worms, there's tumblers, there's all these kind of different things. And then, you know, that's also we're looking at conservation of resources let's talk about solar energy or let's talk about um you know some of these other pieces of uh resource conservation as we're talking about food and farming and um you know there's just lots of intersections to that conversation and then we get inadvertently into mental health and so you know we have NAMI coming out and some other groups um, that are doing, you know, different kind of outreach and free services. Mm -hmm. And that's a really big piece, I think, especially to us looking at, at being at a park, you know, and having such a beautiful green space, especially in the in the midst of, of COVID and how it's been, you know, very isolating for people. And you talked about that a little bit earlier with me. Mm -hmm. I mean, your own experience and it's traumatic um, in a lot of cases. And, you know, we definitely have our own set of challenges being at a outdoor park for our farmers market but it does give us a lot of advantages to talk about mental health and to talk about even if you know you're just coming out and you have one thing that you like to get or you don't even purchase from the farmers or go to the farmers market 
coming to the park itself and that experience of being outside, being in some sort of green space in nature, maybe hearing some live music, maybe like seeing some dogs. I mean, it's, it's, you know, a whole experience and it's profound to be in a space that is safe and inclusive and is a community space, you know, and is, is for people. And I think that's another part of what we're really trying to do at our market and the park is to let people feel ownership over that space. You know, mm -hmm. it's not just for scissor tail people to put on our events and for, you know, downtown people to enjoy. This is, you know, meant to be a resource for everybody that lives around there and, you know, commutes in because there's a lot of commuters. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've just really tried to, to push making space, having space for all those conversations. Not We really try not to um, steer the conversation one way or the other. You know, we just like to put lots of different programs out there. Um, and then we even have some that aren't necessarily educational focused. You know, for instance, we have um, a bilingual story time every Saturday for children, you know, to just come and, and read books and hear books in a different language being read to them. Um, you know, some things that's live music. We try to bring in local musicians who have also been largely, you know, um, affected by COVID uh, to give them a space to just um, perform and, and really add to the atmosphere. We have artists that come out. So they don't, you know, we, we try to really have some of these educational pieces just to get people thinking while they're already looking at food and health, but try to give it this community activation feel so that people really feel like this is for people by people and hopefully can, you know, build it into the routine of something that's meaningful to them because that's what we really want. You know, this is not just our story. And I that's, I think, connected kind of to what you're doing um, and letting people share their stories and really humanizing healing and growth in our own stories. And that's so much of what we found out with food and sustainability is just what are the stories and how mm -hmm. does it connect us even more to each other, you know, because we – always once we start talking it's like there's these experiences to be shared even though they are individual there's a lot of overlap especially when it comes to food and illness and mental health and people are just it, it can be so uniting um to have a space where people are talking about that kind of thing openly and encouraging conversations so I, that's one of my favorite things about our market is being able to have a space hopefully where people feel like they can be a part of that conversation yeah i've been down to scissor tail park for several different events and with with family and with other friends cool. and things like that yeah and you just see all kinds of people and, and mm -hmm. for me it gives me a more expansive view of what community means uh it's really easy Absolutely. to be around people that look like me sound like me talk like me do things like me mm -hmm. um, and then to be around people that don't necessarily mm -hmm. uh, any of those which I personally have found rewarding. I've gotten used to that over the years. But for those who that may be new for you, I highly encourage you, mm -hmm. go out and check it out. Go listen to some of the live music. Definitely go to the farmer's market <laughs> while you're there, right? Because there's food. There's really good food. There's really good food and really good people. <laughs> yeah. And so you're going to have some opportunities and you're going to see a broader view of community. And, uh, you know, on a larger scale right now, if, if if the world needs anything, or at least the United States from my own point of view, we need a better idea of what community is and how to communicate uh, with elements of our community that we don't understand or don't agree with. Absolutely. Well said. And, and you know what? With food, we all need to eat. So what I, what I like to say is that we all have different values. We have different belief systems, different views of culture, et cetera. 
But human values tend to be pretty much the same the world over. So these aren't your personal values and what you like and what you don't like. It's what you generally need or think about the world at a large scale. Mm -hmm. And those tend to be pretty much the same the world over. And we all need to eat. That is a human need. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you, if you want to see how we're more alike than we are different, go down to Scissordale Park <laughs> where they're having food. Uh, and, and you're going to see in yourself and another person, hopefully. That's mm -hmm. my biggest hope. So, uh, in fact, I did want to add on that I was down there with our family for Cinco de Mayo. Oh, my goodness. It was Were a, you there? I wasn't there. You but knew I, about it. Oh, I heard about it. It was a huge, yeah, it was a huge event. It was enormous. It was so big. <laughs> I was like, I hadn't been around that many people, you know, since COVID. And it was like, we walked around the edge and I was I had some of that social fear, but not of the people, just like COVID fear. Sure. And man, was it, it was hopping. That music was amazing. And all the vendors, we went down every vendor and talked to them and, and uh, looked at everything and just had a wonderful day. That's so cool. Yeah. I yeah. heard it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, so there's a lot going on there. Um, how about some of the experiences, if you can think of them, not to put you on the spot, mm -hmm. Mary, but. Uh, can you think of a couple of experiences that you've had with individuals, with farmers, other vendors that, you know, that's made an impression with you and, and you just kind of wanted to share about maybe a difference it made for you or them? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a really, that's a really good question. Maybe this is um, kind of my own experience and I'll give light to to one in particular too, but as you were talking about just walking, being in a space where there's different people, I think one of my favorite things about being at the park is being in a space where I walk around and hear different languages. Mm -hmm. You know, I can walk around and hear Spanish. I hear Vietnamese when I'm walking around. And that is not something that in my little, you know, space in Bethany, I'm, I'm hearing a whole lot. And that is powerful to me. And um, I think that's something that we should, hopefully we all want to be exposed to a little more and just different um, cultural identities and languages um, and ways of living and thinking. And that's been something that I think is really beautiful about Scissor Tail Park is it's, um, you know, again, geographically kind of in the middle of a lot of things, but a lot of people are using it as a resource for their families. And that's something that I that I love. And every time that happens, I just kind of sit there in that moment and I'm grateful that that is a space where people feel safe and bring their families. Um, I think in particular to some of my farmers who I have really deep relationships with. Um, I have one farmer in particular who is certified organic. And as a small farmer, that is a very difficult certification to achieve. Um, you have to, you have to have, um, you know, they check your water, they check any pesticides, you know, fertilizers that you're using, they come look at everything you're doing. And then before you can achieve that, um, organic certification, you have to have used organic practices on your farm for three years before you can use that seal. Um, and so they've been through a lot. They've been through a lot, but they started growing food because, um, uh, and they're Cajun, so they're, you know, from Louisiana and they have a long, interesting story. We're in uh, Mexico and South America for a lot of their life learning about growing food. Um, and they had severe health issues. Um, his wife has Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune condition. Um, and they started, you know, really getting into food for their own well-being and looking at, you know, how much does this affect me and my person and my livelihood and how I'm eating. But seeing how it affects the environment 
uh, at an up close and personal scale like that, but also food workers, you know, folks that are on these farms, small and large, and the difference, the discrepancies and disparities between the two. And I have just had some of the most impactful conversations of my life and enlightening. You know, I, I think of myself as a researcher. I did a lot of research at UCO through Stellar. And um, I learned a lot, cultivated a lot of my own understanding about food and sustainability through research. But then looking at just having this dialogue with a real person and a real story and their own experience has been some of the most enlightening, you know, conversations that I've had at make it, helping me look at food. Not only, I think, because it's similar to my experience, but to hear from someone who's so different from me, different, you know, we have a generational difference, language difference, he speaks Spanish, um, and um, just, you know, cultural differences, and, and hearing, again, you know, how we're so closely tied to, to food and, and how we interact with food and, and what it means in these kind of collective and community ways. Um, that's, I, you know, and I, do, I, I love Farmer Rod, <laughs> Ardoin. They're amazing people, Acadian Family Farm, if you ever are to the market and come check out their organic veggies. But um, incredible people, and I think that's probably one of the most um, impactful situations. I also kind of think of, um, again, we have a really, really high craft um, – jerky producer who you know kind of found his way through his own uh struggle with diabetes and wanting to make this food more accessible to people um and then the last uh, kind of story i just want to share a little bit is um some new farmers and this is kind of new a kind of new thing and i think i feel very very grateful that we get to have a a space where younger people are getting interested in agriculture because it's, you know, for a long time has been a trend that not a lot of young people are getting into farming or, um, you know, raising animals. And then we have a young couple um, that got into regenerative livestock farming. And it is so impressive to think about just the differences in systems when you think about industrial, um, you know, uh, raising cattle or dairy. Um, and these folks have a pretty small plot of land, but they do not stress their environment or their animals beyond their means. And regenerative kind of looking very much at the soil and the ecosystems that these animals exist in and how to meet their needs, but also continue to help that environment thrive so it can even better meet the needs or meet more needs of more animals or you know a healthier soil microbiome or healthier plants and crops. And so... Um, these folks out at ReFarm, um, out of, uh, I believe they're out of Washington, they have, you know, some cattle, some chickens, some pigs, uh, and they, and they rotate them across their, the environment. So, you know, the chickens will go in, um, eat all the bugs, eat grasses, and then the cattle come through and they're aerating and, and fertilizing the soil. <laughs> and then the pigs come through and it's just this like very holistic system. And I think it's really important to see younger people uh, really pulling a lot of, um, you know, interest to that conversation. Obviously, this is something that has been done for a very long time and by a lot of indigenous, you know, cultures and groups, this kind of uh, growing, raising animals and growing food. So it's not a new practice by any means, but I think it's really exciting to see, you know, with contemporary and digital marketing to see people like really kind of talking about this in a different way um and all the benefits of it and really targeting that to a younger audience too and and just 
building a lot of excitement and importance around that thing. And so I think their story is really important too. They both kind of come from a environmental background. So we're just really cool to see so many different types of people, so many different values, interests, perspectives, and paths to their craft. Um, yeah, kind of all at this one space that we get to, you know, go to every Saturday. So those are some of my, I think, favorite interactions that I have. But I, I meet so many amazing people and some of our partnered organizations too um, are just really incredible in the work they're doing. Fertile Ground, you know, is one I bet you're familiar with because you am. know Mark with Ocasa, you know, they're a worker cooperative trying to do, you know, recycling and, and composting residential and uh, institutional. And there's just so many people that get you know, we get connected with when we're looking at some of these cool things like food and uh, sustainability. So I feel I feel pretty blessed in my some of my interactions. <laughs> yeah, you're right in the middle of all that. I yeah. mean, I can tell this really gives the the image for me. I'm I'm seeing a 360 view of all the partners, collaborators, the public, mm -hmm. um, the producers, etc. That mm -hmm. are that are all involved with you. And of course, back UCO Stellar has been a big part. So some folks may not know what that is, and, and maybe just a couple of minutes or so, if you'd like to, uh, if you'd like to talk about your um, experience with the University of Central Oklahoma, it's called the Student Transformative Learning Record Program, and, and maybe tell folks a little bit about what that is, and maybe what you got to do, if you'd oh, like. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. I'm actually really glad that you uh, wanted me to, because yeah. I could talk about Stellar all day Good. long. That's um, something that really changed the trajectory of, I think, where my life was going. Um, and I think it's an incredible program. So basically, Stellar, in the way that I got to interact with it, was it, it, it kind of acts as a alternative transcript, if you will, um, you know, looking at all these extracurricular projects and activities that students are able to do and how that really transforms their learning experience, you know, outside the classroom. But I also got to interact with Stellar by um, applying for grants to conduct my own projects or research. Um, and at the time that I found Stellar, you know, was very much in the beginning phases of my healing, was almost about to drop out of college, was failing out of all my classes, mm. you know, while I was really trying to hone in on my, my healing journey. Yeah. And um, Mark and my mentor, Eric Hemphill, who was the director of sustainability at the time, uh, really, I think, saw the potential in me and, and my passion um, and connected me with Stellar and has been, uh, to date, the best thing that's ever happened to me. I mean, what the, the, the framework that I think Stellar operates within is so important, especially for people at that time of their life. You know, mm -hmm. even if you're a non-traditional student mm -hmm. and you're in an environment where you're learning, you're being challenged in some very important ways, sometimes very uncomfortable ways, you know, just, and I was, you know, in my first or second year of college and very much in my own <laughs> context of, you know, healing. Um, but found me at the most perfect time uh, because I was able to really think about what I wanted to learn about, what I wanted to gain, what were some questions I had about the world and the way I interacted with it. And specifically for me, this looked like food and farming and community gardening. And so I basically requested, you know, grant funding to, to um, hold a study across UCO um, and survey students, staff, faculty about um, 
you know, kind of looking at where were folks getting their food, what did some of their food purchasing and behaviors looked like, and what did food security look like on our campus in, you know, in Edmond, where I think a lot of people think is a very, you know, high socially economic status, you know, area, um, pretty high average income. And so I think a lot of people kind of want to pretend that that's not, hunger wasn't an issue or, uh, you know, accessibility to food was an issue because we've got sprouts, we've got natural grocers. But um, what my study concluded was that um, it's a huge problem. And, you know, especially in Edmond, I think a lot of people and students in particular are having to make decisions like, do I pay my rent or do I get groceries? You know, what holding those two things, you know, that's um, that shows that's not reliable and not a sustainable, you know, accessibility to food. And, and you know, people were – um, eating in ways that they had to, obviously, mm -hmm. but not a lot of um, fresh, healthy vegetables on, you know, a, a school, like a meal plan. Um, you know, not a ton of affordable options for healthy food outside of sprouts and natural grocers and whole foods. That's not that far away. So really inhibited people's ability to feed themselves and caused a lot of illness. You know, I spoke with one student in particular who I think UCO is a beautiful place because um, so many international students and a really strong presence, um, a really awesome learning opportunity. And I got to get really close with a student who was Haitian. And she was um, at UCO getting her degree. She had been on the rowing team, had eaten, you know, exclusively off of UCO's um, meal plan, which not to demonize, again, you know, we're all doing what we got to do. And, um, you know, was was unable to perform because she was not able to secure enough fresh, wholesome food for herself. Um, and so really, really got her kind of thinking about food. And she ended up doing a lot of food advocacy with me and um, really grew from there. Again, these relationships and how we get connected to people. But that was a really interesting part of my study. And so that kind of phase, I had three phases total of my stellar project, uh, was, was looking at what's going on here on our campus and our Edmond community, and then how to start addressing maybe what I thought was a problem. And so then I started kind of using some of my research background as well as some of my communication um, to start advocating and putting, you know, some student council kind of together committees that were focused on what is UCO doing for our students, for our staff and faculty in the realm of, um, you know, food accessibility, healthy food options and um, sustainability to make sure we can, you know, meet our needs as a, as a campus and continue to meet them in the future. And so then I started kind of advocating for UCO to sign on to a, a, a national campaign that looks to, you know, really prioritize sustainable and local food systems. And that was kind of bled into the next couple phases of my project. But then I got to um, plan and execute um, a campus and community-wide uh, local food summit where I brought in lots of um, nonprofits, you know, businesses that were looking at sustainable and local food systems, farmers, um, you know, nutrition programs, and it was had speakers, you know, had Councilwoman mm -hmm. Nice came to the last one, you know, lots of people who were kind of in this conversation, um, lots of really awesome people from Langston University, Micah Anderson is one I want to, has done incredible food work. Um, chefs in the area and then you know b garnished enough support and interest in this that it's now a revolving event at UCO and they have revolving funding for this local food summit and for this you know sustainability group that we kind of 
cultivated. And so, I mean, I think not only for myself and my own experience and now path in this world, but my, you know, UCO's footprint and what they're doing. I mean, Stellar has been so impactful. And I, I mean, I, ta- I got to know a lot of students who had done their own kind of Stellar research projects or just campus projects. Um, very different from mine, totally different focus, but very similar impact. And I think when you invest in students in that way and you give people resources to support themselves based off of what's really important to them Mm -hmm. not only you know as an individual but like how can we make our campus and community better I mean that's transformative and then to be able to say look and how I can like qualify and quantify this and take this to somebody I mean that is what got me my job not my marketing degree and so I mean Stellar has been I will say you know sing its praises but an incredible program I wish this was something that was happening at every institution of higher ed because I mean it's so important I mean in my personal growth through that time I mean the people that I got to connect with that I'm now continuing to work with in a professional setting I mean changed my life it absolutely did so this is just for um, personal curiosity and those that that know what this means that's that's great so I'm curious what levels did you achieve in in the um, tenets especially the research creative and scholarly activities oh gosh you're putting me on my spot I still have you my remember? I still have my cords because yeah, I, you have cords. I did get all of them so I got what, what color yeah. oh okay you got all of them I did and they oh my goodness you don't have to remember all of them so that's incredible yeah go ahead <laughs> Tell yeah. me what you tell me what you remember. If, if it's not right, that's okay. Oh no, that's okay. Oh, uh, yeah. let's see. Okay, so research and let's see, creative, uh, scholarly activities. Mm-hmm. I did get my transformative, my Boom. health and wellness, transformative. Boom. I know my. Uh, let's see. Oh gosh, there's so many leadership. There, leadership Blue. did get did get Boom. transformative. Yes. Boom. Um, there was. Um, oh my goodness, I'm trying it now. The uh, the rest are escaping me. Global and cultural yes, global competencies. And cultural, I, that might have been the one that I didn't get transformative on, okay. but I, I, I still think that have one's my, orange, maybe. Uh huh. So integration. Yes, maybe, maybe Exposure, integration. integration. Yes, mm-hmm. but I still have all my cords hanging up in my house because that's that was beautiful to me, and I even Mark like even presented them to me and oh, my that's my really sweet. mentor Eric. Yeah, it was very very special. Yeah. Not even you know because it's like oh a cord, but just like a tangible piece oh, of yeah. like it's meaningful. It is meaningful, and I got to walk across the stage with those, and people knew mm. what that meant and respected that. And yeah. I think that's a bit that's the coolest thing too is not only that it's a really beautiful program, but that it started and I saw a lot of it happen over my time at UCO. It embed itself into the fabric of the entire campus and the yes. philosophy of, of what higher ed was doing mm-hmm. there. And I think that's incredible. I cannot, I don't have enough good things to say about UCO and my time there. Well, I'm a huge advocate too. And, and I am, uh, you know, partnered with OSU OKC right now. And uh, I've told them about Stellar. And good. So, yeah, I think it's a program that's uh, adaptable for a, a lot of different places. If it works there, great. If not, mm-hmm. that's okay. But I'm, I'm always advocating it for, and your story and what you're sharing right now, that's the reason why, people. You've seen me post about it all the time. This is why. Uh, it's really an incredible initiative, mm-hmm. and it can be adopted and adapted by a variety of different institutions, anywhere that you have values that you measure. 
Sure. Uh, in any organization. So uh, very exciting stuff. Well, you can hear more about that um, on, on my podcast episode with Mark Walverd and also with Jeff King, who is also uh, a guest on the show. And he talks all about Stellar. So go hop over there and, and listen to those. Well, so Mar- cool. Mary, in closing up, I wanted to give you the opportunity to, for folks to connect with you mm-hmm. or through um, o- OSU OKC Farmers Market or any other contact points. And, and I'll throw all this down in the show notes. Perfect. Yeah, that's that's lovely. I am always looking to connect for any, you know, community partnerships. If you just want to learn more about our farmers and our producers, if you ever want to go out to meet with me uh, to a farm and get your hands dirty. We, you know, volunteer a lot with our farmers and other community gardens. So you can you can always reach me uh, by email. Um, and I'll, I'll let Charles put my, yeah, my email in here. there. Perfect. Yep, perfect. Just hit the show notes right now. You can find that there. Yes. And then, yes, I always encourage people to, um, I'm always down to get, get coffee. Uh, you can call me too. And you can also find me on my Instagram page and, um, I do run our farmer's market page. So you can always direct message me through there on Facebook or Instagram. I'm not the best Twitter user. I will say I fail kind of in my millennial identity when it comes to Twitter. It does not come easily to me. But all the other platforms promise I'm reliable and I I would love to chat with anybody who's interested talking about anything we talked about today or just come out to the market and, and grab me. I'm probably the person running around <laughs> <laughs> you you'll, will not be hard to miss right, right yeah be no. right in the middle of it yeah. <laughs> and i'm very loud <laughs> yeah and a lot of energy so i've really enjoyed it so people definitely reach out to her if you're spurred by any of this conversation and get downtown go check out the market and scissor tail park lots of good things going mm-hmm. on Mary Bixler, thanks for being my guest on the show. Thank you so much for having me today. This was so wonderful, and I so appreciate what you're doing. This is really important work, so thank you, Charles. Absolutely. You've been listening to the Live Your Purpose podcast. I hope you've been inspired by my conversation with today's guest. If you like what you hear, please share with your social networks and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. To learn more about the life coaching, public speaking, and retreat services that I offer, visit fullintegrationcoaching.com. And you can follow along with me on Facebook and Instagram at Full Integration Coaching. Until next time, remember, you were meant to live on purpose. Start living yours today. We're talking. We're talking. We're talking, and we love to talk. We love to talk. We are talkers. Woo.